Hi guys, this is Sammy. There ended up being some unexpected background noise on Star's recording, which I wasn't able to edit out. So I apologize for that, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. And I'm Star. And this is episode 30, brought to you by Keith Betraying Everyone. Because that is a thing that happened. We finished Never Seen This Week. Yep. Before we got into the episode, I did want to say that um, KeeperCast just passed 10,000 listens. So um, that is really awesome. And thank you, guys. That's incredible. Yeah, no. um, I can't believe 10,000 separate people, or or maybe the same people, but 10,000 people at any point went... Yeah, you know what I want to do? I want to listen to, I mean, I speak for myself here, but I want to listen to some idiots yell about a book. Wild. We finished Never Seen, and... See, the thing, the thing about this ending, the thing about this ending is so much of it brings up so much that is so interesting to me. And the issue is I can't read it anymore without thinking about, like, like, there was so much I wanted to see happen with what happened in the ending here, and I didn't get that. And that's not to say that they were, nece- that, that they were necessarily bad choices. Um, obviously, this isn't my job, and I'm not the one with a best-selling novel. But I will say that I personally wanted to see things happen that didn't really happen. Wait, like, what kind of things would you have liked to happen at the end of Never Seen? Like, is there anything specific? Not necessarily at the end of Never Seen, but... Oh, you mean just, like, sort of in general, like... Yeah, because with, with Never Seen, never, the end of Never Seen sets up so many crazy things. Oliver is part of Never Seen. They drown a city. Um, Kala sacrifices herself. Keith joins the Never Seen. There, are so, there is so much rich emotional territory to get into there. And maybe it's just because I haven't reread the books in a while, but I don't remember getting any of that in in um in in the next book and in later books. Like there's a there I will say there is some Fitz has a crisis over Alvar, and I think that's great. But I wanted more. I remember first reading this ending, and after I finished, I was just like, wait. And, like, but then, like, now, knowing that a lot of that stuff was, like, kind of retconned later or not resolved makes it feel different. At the same time, though, I feel like if you just look at this ending and, like, look at it separately, sort of, from everything in Lodestar, everything in the later books, like, the entire sequence from, like, the moment they enter Ravagog to... Prentice waking up at the very end is like really chef's kiss. <laughs> like it's so good. There's just so like uh, I I'm, I don't know how to put this, but just the the, the tension and the third line where it's like stuff's happening, stuff's happening, stuff's happening. It is everything that's been building throughout the book coming to a head, and it's just like now you have to deal with all of it. Yeah, I love the way that, like, this book is paced where, like, 
it's just a bunch of little things kind of happening in each chapter and each section until finally in this like last section of like chapter 66 through 79 um where everything just kind of comes together in Ravagog and it's like everything just happens at once one thing after the other and it's just so cool yeah also um this is probably my one of my favorite scenes in the entire series do you know why tam and lynn yep <laughs> there are yes. few things in life that, I, that will ever just strike me god we're so predictable uh, look i have never claimed to be anything but a tam and lynn stan and i will never claim to be anything but or well anything else the point is the point is i accept that i'm predictable and i know it <laughs> no we're both predictable like <laughs> this the ravagog scene with lynn just so good is there anything so more incredible than a character simply going how about no to a tidal wave they created themselves and then a uh, two minutes later going you know what actually how about yes and flooding is it's the coolest gosh darn scene she's so powerful and i love her yeah this was like this was such a moment for lynn it was like we do go to exilium and we see exilium but we don't really get a sense like and we know lynn flooded a bit but we don't get a sense of just how absolutely insane what she can do is until this moment and i understand that the elves are set up with like a different value system where like they value telepathy over hydrokinetics and things like that but the sheer power of this moment is like i'm sorry i cannot jive with the elves value system did you see that did you see that god i love her and it's like you kind of get you kind of get too that like the reason the reasons why lynn has seemed sort of so afraid of her power and you know it's why it's so hard for her to sort of figure out how to control it because like her power is she's massively powerful and like you really just see it all happen there it's so much and it's so incredible and also like um i'm gonna continue to be predictable yeah okay just the little scene like i mean i once again this is part of the whole scene it's chapter 71 but it's just like um tam is basically carrying lynn and he's just like i've got her and the, just the dialogue exchange right there where it's like i'm just the two of them essentially helping each other do this incredible thing where tam is like i've got her i'm gonna stand behind her while she saves our entire lives and she's gonna grit her teeth and and, and Lynn, lynn's like i can do this i will do this because i have to yeah i it's everything i love about character relationships in four lines tam and lynn's dynamic so good like i don't know if i've ever said this before but one of the things I'm really, really attached to is like protective, basically relationships where are like where, where they're like the world said the world gave up on us, so there's no way in hell we're giving up on each other. Yeah, and just that sort of like yes, yeah, like I will stand before the world and I will say, you know what, you're gonna have to go through me. 
And that is the vibe of this scene and of, of Tam and Lynn in general in, 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 I think, this book. And we don't get as much of it in, in later books, but I just love the idea of they care about each other and they have seen, they have been rejected. And what they did with that was they went, all right, well, world's going to kick us out. I'm not letting go of it. And I, I love that. I just, every single day, I, like, every single time I think about Tam and Lynn, I gain, like, three years of life, because I'm just like, God, remember them? Aren't they so cool? Honestly, Mood, the song twins just live in my mind rent-free, right, as of Honestly. now. Honestly? Yeah, that Ravagog scene was fabulous. <laughs> like, it was so good. Yeah, so the next thing that kind of happens is where Olvar betrays everyone, so this is betrayal number one I've never seen. And, um, I, I don't really know, I don't really have that much to say about this, like, but really what I'm interested in here is that when he was talking about the Vacker legacy, and, like, he was specifically, like, he was, like, I mean, there's the whole thing of, like, oh, the Vackers aren't as, you know, as, like, golden and great as, we're supposed to think they are but he seemed to be like directing a lot of that conversation directly to Biana rather than Fitz which I found interesting I don't really know I still don't really know what to make of that it seems like he like Olvar feels like Biana is the one who's more likely to agree with him or like to agree that um you know agree that the Vackers might have this dark legacy and that they're not as great as they seem which does tie into like the idea that because Fitz maybe has internalized all the stuff about like being the golden boy of the Vackers that like he is much less likely to believe that there could be anything wrong with his family whereas Bianna is more likely to and also remind me if I'm wrong but I feel like Fitz was always kind of part of this like hey, you know, there's this secret, and remember that, like, you know, you're, you're out to, like, find this girl and save the world. Yeah, Biana was never a part of that. And, well, I think, like, in-universe, that's more just because she was too young. Like, by the time she was old enough to have gone on those missions, like, they had already found Sophie. But it's true that, like, Biana was never really part of that sort of club that, like, Alden and Della and Fitz and like even Olvar were kind of in on at some point. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but do we know if she knew about it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I don't think it's ever said whether or not she knew. Because like if she didn't know, if she never knew that like the whole thing was about finding this girl from the lost cities and, and doing all of that, if that was kept a secret from her, it's not too much of a leap. For, for Olvar to then go, well, there's some other stuff you don't know, because she's already got a basis of, yeah, my family lies to me. That's really interesting. Vackers, man. Y'all, have you, have you considered counseling? <laughs> Again, I don't think the elves have therapy, which is like, hmm, you should probably um get on that. Literally, literally, like, you have, there is a straight line between fragile mental health, and literal death. Why have you not invented therapy yet? True. It's like, it's like if they feel the slightest amount of guilt, they're like, oh, 
functionally dead. It's, and like, yet they're sort of okay with that being a risk because they're just like, oh, but we'll never feel guilt, so we're fine. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, speaking of that, that scene of where they where they tell Alden and Della, and Elwin literally is like, oh, El- Elwin is literally like, um, yeah, he gives them an, an elixir, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Well, what's the line? I need you to promise that your mind is strong enough to handle it. This will take the edge off reality if you need it. And I looked at that and went, he gives them drugs. I'm just gonna say it. Literally, like, like we had this whole discussion about guilt and about the inability to acknowledge it and therefore actually, like, deal with it and rectify it. And, and, and here it is. Like, of course, this, of course this is a thing. Of course it's a thing. Because that's, the, that's what logically follows. I just, I feel both vindicated and even more horrified. Also, by the way, just because I'm flipping through the book now, oh well. You remember when war with the ogres was, like, a possibility? What happened with that? It was averted somehow. <laughs> I, th- I think it's just because, like, I, I mean, I might be wrong. I think it's just because after Never Seen, like, their city was so wrecked that they could not, like, that they just didn't have the power to start a war against the elves, and then... So it just kind of all faded away? Yeah, okay. Like, that makes sense. I'm just thinking, like, I guess Keith's battle or whatever with King Dimitar that happens, I believe, after this, I guess that makes sense. Is like, there are consequences for basically destroying an entire city. And, like, those are the consequences. That makes sense. But also, like, man, I want more consequences. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... I don't know, I feel like a lot of the stuff with Ravagog was kind of addressed in later books. Like, they mention stuff about the ogres, like, trying to rebuild. There's a bit with Lady Cadence, if I remember correctly, but, like... I mean, like, maybe, maybe this was what, what sparked Keith's whole thing with King Dimitar, but I can't remember a time where it was like, actually, no, there are some pretty severe political consequences for the fact that you kids destroyed an entire city. Like, that should have... I feel like that should have made things a lot harder. And I don't remember it that happening, but that could just be my memory being shoddy. Because, yeah, again, like, also, this is just my memory of, like, a book I read three years ago. But, like, the ramifications of destroying an entire city really was, like, it was just a very minor part of Lodzar that was maybe mentioned, like, twice. Whereas I feel like if this had actually happened, like, in real life, it would have it would have had much, much bigger consequences. Like, well, okay. I think there were consequences to it that, like, were addressed in those one or two scenes, but it was all off-screen, whereas I think it would have been interesting if, like, that had actually factored in more to, like, the plotline of Lodestar and, like, had been more just prominent in Sophie's life. Yeah, and I mean, like, like I- I'm just thinking of, like, you know, superhero movies, which do tend to hand wave damage uh, or, or things like that but it feels like if you're gonna make a book where uh, basically i don't know if politics matter or not 
in, in, in this world. Because if they do matter, destroying Ravagog should be huge. But if they don't matter, okay, maybe like we can solve the destroyed Ravagog thing outside of this. But if politics don't matter, why do we get so much drama with the council? And what was all of Everblaze? And like, literally, I thought the whole point of Never Seen was they were like, the politics of society are bad. And that's why Never, that's why the Never Seen are like rising up against them. So like, do they matter or don't they? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting question because like, I think that just sort of by nature of the main characters being children, like, the politics of the Lost Cities is kind of automatically pushed to, like, a, like a secondary storyline or something that's just sort of going on in the background because, like, they're not directly involved with the council every day. But that, I mean, that might change, though, because of, like, Team Valiant and how they are working more closely with the council now, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think there's something to be said for, for being like the politics are a secondary issue here, like, like matters, like because they're children. But I feel like even if you are going to make it a secondary issue, it needs to matter, I guess. Like, 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 like you can say, you, you can have the ramifications happen off screen, but like, Maybe when they do meet with the council, maybe like, or maybe like, like I, I, I would believe it if. I mean, I don't know. The council's interesting because like they have so many reasons to just straight up go. We don't trust you anymore. You need to stop this. We don't trust you anymore. So the council has so many reasons to just go. No, you can't keep doing this because like we. I'm not, I, feel, I think this was a never seen, I don't fully remember, but like, we know that the council was already, there was already some amount of doubt around the council and the council's trustworthiness. I think like, it would have been very justified for them to respond to Ravagog with, okay, I need you guys to stop. I feel like we've already had that plot line in some form or another, but it feels like the council themselves never really had to deal with the consequences. We got Cadence going like, yeah, they're rebuilding and it sucks, but like the people who are supposed to have political power never had to sit down and go, all right, how the f do we deal with the fact that, you know, even if the ogres haven't declared war, what you did, what we did was an act of war. How do we deal with that? Right, like that, what you're saying about like that kind of discussion having like happened before that did remind me of like somewhere in the middle of never seen right there was when they were trying to break um break prentice out of exile like the like the council's punishment for that was to exile all of them from the lost cities and send them to exilium like yet for a crime of much greater magnitude aka destroying an entire city we just get like crickets from the council yeah, no, like, that's it. That's the issue. I, I don't know. To me, it almost seems like a situation of, like, well, of the council being, like, well, ultimately, you know, the, these kids destroying the city helped us, so we're not going to do anything about it. Like, that's what it just, that's what it feels like to me. 
And I mean, like, that's fair. And, and like, especially if we're going to tell a story about how the council is flawed and doesn't, like, necessarily have the best morals, you can do that. But I feel like if that's a story you're going to tell, you might want your heroes, yeah, just to, to, to be like, wow, that's a really up way to go about it like i i i know we did this and we did it to we did it so they wouldn't kill us but like we did wreck their city ha, lynn of all people should be the one who gets in front of the council and goes actually no you give them money to rebuild and to to fix this because i don't care what they did i know what i did and i want to fix this I did it to survive, that does not make it right. Of, of course, that is biased by the fact that I want to see Lynn do more things, literally all the time. Uh, so, you know. But like, it's true, you know, it's, it's been a while since, since I feel like the Black Swan has had to like, formally kind of acknowledge the consequences of their actions. Like, I don't know, I kind of like to see them just like, go through a tribunal at some point to like acknowledge that like yeah this is a thing it feels so odd because it's like you've got this weird dichotomy of their rebel organization but the council is kind of fine with them yeah i mean that that is kind of acknowledged like i think at the end of at the end of this they, they do meet and like talk. yeah so like they're kind of on like diplomatic terms by the end of this book i want to say but like and, like, they're not considered an illegal organization or anymore, but there's still, like, that feeling of, like, they have, like, the Council and the Black Swan definitely have very different goals and motivations and methods, and they don't, and, like, later on, they're, they're just not butting heads quite as much. Like, the, the justification for them you know, being more okay with, with dealing with each other, as far as I'm aware, is because, you know, the never seen are getting stronger, and this, this, like, this is bigger than us, and we have to work to stop it, even if that means allying. Can you name any time where the Council of the Black Swan have worked together, and it's actually gotten... Right, no, because, I mean, there's always been, like, individual council members working with the Black Swan, like Orly and Tarek, but they've, like, the council as a collective has never actually all agreed to be like, okay, now we are going to, like, formally ally ourselves with the Black Swan. That's never been a thing. And it's weird because, like, we can understand objectively that the Never Seen have gotten stronger because, you know, like... The, the, the whole of Never Seen is about, oh, the stakes are higher, there's a war, a whole population might die. And then, like, the Never Seen continue to be able to do really powerful things, like, you know, they blow up things and break down buildings and, like, kind of destroy the sense of safety that the elves have. So there's, like, an understandable sense that the Never Seen are growing stronger, but since we still don't know what the Never Seen want or what they're doing... I'm sorry, whenever I come on, it always seems to just, like, turn to let me yell about all the things that disappoint me. <laughs> and I don't- This is what it's like when you're not here, too, so... I'm sorry we're so negative. I actually, like, unironically, I did really like Never Seen. It's a, it's a good book. See, here's the thing. Never Seen is my favorite, but also, I am 
very aware of my complete inability to not uh, to, to to make an unbiased decision around this. Of course, never seen as my favorite. Never seen as where we meet Tam and Lynn. I know this. <laughs> I'm extremely aware. Yeah. No, never seen. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's one of my favorites too. And Tam and Lynn definitely play a part in that. Um, but like in general too, I do think that overall, like out of the first four books that we reread, Never Seen definitely has the best writing. Like it arguably has the best plot. It just works really well as like a cohesive story. And it's just a it's just like legitimately a really good book. I just, I love it. Like, I really do like this book quite a bit. And there are so many things that I'm seeing again on this reread of it where it's like, oh my gosh, I forgot how much, like, I forgot how good this was. Yeah. Yeah, same. It's like, especially like, this is going off on a tangent, but like, those, all those scenes with Keith, like, that I like vaguely remembered they were there, but like, stuff like the window sleepovers and like, you know, the post-its in his room and stuff, like, there was just, like, a level of detail in there that I really didn't remember, and now I've, like, done a 180 on Keith, and I love him, and (laughs) I'm like, oh, wow, how did this happen? (laughs) Here's the thing. I like Keith as a concept, but just, I don't know, comic relief characters are hit or miss with me. Either I love them, or I just cannot be bothered and for some reason which is pretty much entirely personal Keith is Keith is on the latter side of that but like same reading reading those scenes I was like oh oh this is why people ship so Keith oh this is why people oh my god it makes sense now right yeah exactly one is that like your opinion of Keith is very valid and like I do kind of like like he like in the later books like in Nightfall especially I just really wasn't vibing with him. <laughs> um but like I feel like again if you look at Never Seen as like a standalone sort of piece without thinking about what happens to the characters in other books like Keith was really good and I just I love Never Seen Keith a lot. And I feel like fascinatingly I feel like Keith in the first three books, to me, I was like, yeah, he's cool, and oh, wow, he's got a tragic backstory, fascinating. And then in Never Seen, it was like, oh, geez, okay, there's more. But it was either Never Seen, I I think it was like when the first bits of Lodestar started to be released, where I was like, actually, no. Where you're like, we're going the other way. I I now hold a grudge against Keith. And I feel like that's the thing. If, if, If you think about Never Seen as a standalone, Keith is a lot more interesting, but I feel like I never forgave... Lodestar forgave Keith, I think, really quickly for what happened at the end of Never Seen and what happened throughout a lot of Never Seen. And I, I wasn't forgiving him. I, like, and so I was like, look, the books, the books are giving you a pass. I'm going to make up for them by literally never doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, like, ugh, the thing about Lodestar is just that, like, we had an entire freaking year to, like, mull over the fact that Keith had just betrayed everyone. And so, like, I don't know. I just, I fully expected something. And, like, after Never Seen, I just fully expect, I had, like, sky-high expectations for Lodestar. And then I remember when the first chapter was released and 
we're, I was just like, why is Keith here? And why is he still a good person? Like, I was just not having it. It's hard to separate actual critique. Like, it's hard to separate an actual examination of is this a good decision or not from my own bias and what I wanted to see. Like, for me, those two are really, really intertwined. But I think one of the reasons why I was so... Like, like like you said, we had so much time to build up something. And so part of it was just the disappointment. Like, oh, we're not going to do any of that? I don't think Keith being a double agent in Lodestar, like, as a concept is bad. I think it's just that I was expecting something different. I was expecting that Keith had actually betrayed them and that he would get some sort of redemption arc. And that didn't happen. So, like... Yeah, it is sort of hard now to, like, figure out if I just had, like, a knee-jerk reaction to Lodestar because it wasn't what I had wanted, or if, like, it actually could have gone in a better direction. I think I would have been fine with Keith being a double agent in Lodestar if Sophie hadn't known, if nobody had known. If, like, because the thing is, the thing with Keith being a double agent in Lodestar is because Sophie knew and Sophie was so quick to go, we're still friends, it's okay, I still care about you. It felt like, it felt like the betrayal hadn't mattered. Yeah. Sophie just immediately figured out, or Sophie just immediately learned that he was actually sort of still on their side and she was totally fine with that. There was... She never had time to, like, process or even, like, believe that he had actually betrayed them. Sophie was still in the denial phase of, oh my god, Keith, like, Keith's working against us now. She was still in that, like, I can't believe this. And then Mr. Rook was like, actually, no, yeah, you, you can't believe this because it's not true. And it was just like, oh, okay. Like, basically, I wanted Sophie to get the arc that Fitz got, where, where basically it was like, you don't know that he's working as a double agent, and even when he comes back, you're still not quite ready, because it was like, look, I, I know that you had a good reason, I know that it was justified, but you were supposed to, to, to trust me, and to talk to me, and you did it, you actively went against that, because you decided that knowing about your family is more important, and I understand why you made that decision, but it still hurt that you made it. But the thing is, like, Keith does, like, decide to trust her, and tell her, which is cool, but like, does not put the characters in the same position of conflict. And conflict is interesting. Sort of going back to the original Keith betrayal in Never Seen, but, like, looking at that scene, again, I feel like if you just look at it separate from all the stuff that happened in Lodestar, like, man, it has been, like, it has been four years, and that's still just, it hits hard. Please don't hate me. Like, I I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. It was just, I just felt like it was a really, yeah, it was a really well-written scene. And like, especially now that, I mean, now I feel like I'm a bit more forgiving of Keith after rereading Never Seen and just like, you know, him just like the please don't hate me line and the necklace and all just the little things going on that added up. It just... It just really it it gets it gets you. 
there's a certain sense of like the slow building oh oh no oh god what are you doing and, and like you realize it's like it's like oh he gives her a necklace and that's so sweet and it's so nice and like oh look um oh wait what's he doing it's like he's got this something i do by myself well i mean that makes sense given everything he's done and everything but like you know we trust him it's okay and so sophie's just about to go home and like it feels like they're heading towards a culmination and then she sees it and she's like oh boy and then they get to they get to the place and just she realizes the same time we do and it's really it like like you said it hits hard like i i agree there was just like a ton of good build-up that kind of hinted that hinted at the scene happening and one of and like the last thing that kind of happens is that um is it like in the last section we read um where keith like for a brief moment he like tries to go run off and like fight dimitar by himself and sophie is thinking like oh no the next thing he's gonna do is gonna be super reckless and you're like, and like, I don't know, I feel like, had he actually gone over to the Never Seen side in order to find out the stuff about his family, yes, that would have been a reckless move. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels, it feels reckless, but reckless in a way that gets addressed differently. Like, like it, feel, it feels like this, it feels like the Never Seen is about a Keith that makes reckless decisions because he's driven by something because he has to know and in 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 desperately searching for like why he's here he's making reckless decisions whereas the 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 version of keith that would 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 become a double agent if you like it feels like the conversation you have with the first keith is it doesn't matter who they made you to be you are you we want you for you we want you here with us that is what's important Whereas a Keith that, like, gets an assignment to go be a double agent, and even though he knows it's going to be really dangerous and might get him killed and destroy his relationships, he's like, no, I'll do it. The conversation you have with that Keith is, look, you cannot kill yourself on some altar for some greater purpose. Like, that's not going to, that's not worth it. And that's not what we want from you. And they're similar, but the, the core is different. Because the first is a conversation about identity, the second is a conversation about purpose. And Never Seen for Keith, I think, is a story about identity. Like, who am I? What was I made for? Whereas after this, it turns into a story about, like, what am I doing? Which I guess can grow, one can grow from the other, but the shift, especially here, feels a little bit jarring. But yeah, like, like, here's the thing, it's, it's such a good scene, and I don't know how to extricate it from my personal disappointment at how it played out, but I come back to this scene, and I, th- like, I remember why it mattered so much. Like, I remember why the biggest meme in the fandom was the Keith betrayed everyone ditto, because we were all having a crisis! It's because it is crisis-inducing, like, legitimately. Like, <laughs> I just... <sighs> Like, this really felt like the first thing that could really, sh- like, really shake the main characters and, like, really, really heck them up. Like, like if Exile went, all right, we established that quo, let's change things up, now Sophie's powers are broken, this felt like a similar sort of, all right, you, like, you just got settled, we just set things up, now the rules have changed, now your friend is working against you. 
deal with it. And it felt like something big was gonna happen. And there is one chapter after um after Keith betrays everyone, which which is the cliffhanger. Um so Prentice is awake. Prentice! But Prentice is awake, and you know, we always love Prentice, so I am here for this. Prentice is great. I'm so glad Wiley's got his dad back. And I mean, like, not to bring this back around, but you know what is maybe the biggest for- I mean, no, it's not the biggest. The biggest is Keith's betrayal, but like, Tam and Lynn are a victim of this too. They're absolutely- they're absolutely- like, even the entire- and Gazillium, and that whole concept, like, there, there's so much there, and especially, and like, especially Timberland, they're such fascinating characters, and then they spend, like, all of Lodestar taking care of Wily, which, which is, which is, which is great, like, I love Wily too, don't get me wrong, but it's like, we're not gonna do anything cool with that? Like, you want to take them on some missions, have them do some stuff. Maybe they could, like, like, maybe, 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 like, 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 if you're gonna tell a story about societal issues, maybe you want Tam and Lynn to be, like, part of that conversation, because they went to exhilarate. <laughs> My point is, basically, I want more of them. <laughs> and this is, this is another one of those things where it's like, is this actually a bad writing decision? Or it's just because you are a pile of biases. I am just a miserable little pile of biases, and all of those biases are loving Tam and Lynn. But I don't know. Either way, I'm emotional. So I guess, I don't know, I guess now that we've, we're done, like, talking about it bit by bit, I, I guess, like, overall impressions of Never Seen are, again, that, like, like, again, I keep saying this, but, like, if you look at it as a standalone, it's so good. And, like, I don't know, I said this with Exile, and then I said it with Everblaze, and now I think I'm saying it again with Everseen, but, like, I think it might be my favorite book during this reread. <laughs> Incredible. So far. But, like, if you just look at it outside of the context of everything else, it's great. But, like, knowing what happens to a lot of these plot threads makes things more complicated. However... Never seen like like the, given that never seen is not the it is is not the whole it is a part. I still think it's pretty darn cool. Like yeah, yeah. Like I don't I don't think how much I love never seen is really like tainted by anything else. Cause like well, first of all, one I think like Lodestar and the books that came after were still good books. So like yeah, no, no, no. I, I think I know exactly what you mean. Like, I, like it, it's that same whole versus parts thing. Every book, individually, is a good book. But when you look at the greater plot line, it feels like, well, where is this all going? Did you have anything else you wanted to say about the end of Never Seen? Final impressions? I mean, I did have one more thing I wanted to say. And do you want to know what that one more thing was? Let's guess. I would just like to restate that I love Tam and Lynn, and I'm so happy they're here. Likewise. Yes. God, they're so cool. They're so cool. They're so cool. You can find us at KeeperCast on Tumblr and the KeeperCast on Instagram, and you can also find me at Malamelting on both Tumblr and Instagram. 
you can find me at uh, sing, sp- sing Swan Spring Swan with uh, hyphens in between each of those words, uh, tumblr.com. And you can also find my writing at Star Dreamer 2 on AO3. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.